Hey. I'm glad you have an editor that can take care of all of these weird noises I'm making. Testing, testing, testing. Can you hear me? This is Audible Autism. Hello, everybody. This is Audible Autism, interesting people and interesting facts. This is Odai speaking, and with it, I have possibly, I think, our second international guest podcast, um, Cassandra Rehani. Um, Cassandra, you can introduce yourself. Hello, um, I'm Cassandra. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, that's about it. I I'm a software engineer, I guess. I I don't know how to introduce myself. It's one of those things I'm bad at. So No, that's that's fine. Software engineers and that's definitely an interesting thing. So like how we usually start our interviews, I would like to ask you, how did you find out that you was autistic, basically? So when I was about twenty two or twenty three, I was a broke ass college kid. Okay. And I thought I need money and there was a a, a pharmaceutical like double blind study that was run by like a government organization in Jacksonville, Florida where I was living at the time. And I had been diagnosed with ADD when I was like 16. Um and I had, you know, gone to therapy and most of the time people were like, "Oh, she has depression or she has anxiety and depression." And I had like a whole like fruit salad bowl full of different like like diagnoses. But I never ever in my life up to that point thought, oh, I'm autistic, you know, like never crossed my mind. Just didn't something I wasn't knowledge about and something I never really considered. After a lot of intense like testing, like MRIs, they did like cognitive behavioral like test, not cognitive behavioral type, but cognitive testing and interviewed like my friends and family. And when they, they were like, yes, you do have ADD. You scored very high on that, you know, whatever. And they're like, you're also on the autism spectrum. And I was, like I said, 22, 23 at the time. I didn't think twice of it. I was like, oh, cool. I'm on the spectrum. I didn't think it didn't. They said it so casually. It never really clicked until a few years later. And I'm not exaggerating. I was lying in bed and all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, wait, does that mean I'm autistic? Like it never like hit me. And then I was like 25 or 26 at the time. And it kind of hit me like a, a like a train, what that meant. And um, I looked into it and it made a lot of things more sensical. Um, just things I experienced, the way I had developed emotionally. Um, and it went from being something that was like, holy shit, I'm autistic. What does that mean? To being like, oh, okay, there's a whole community of people out there like me and I'm not alone. And having an idea of what's going on. <laughs> will help me, you know, conquer those anxieties and depressions that I dealt with. So that's how I found out just completely uh, just by surprise doing a doing a medical study. That's interesting. That's, that's sort of <clears throat> similar to my experiences with how I got diagnosed. I got diagnosed slightly younger. I was about 17 when I got my diagnosis done. And it was only after you know, a second year in sixth form that didn't particularly go very well. And somebody came, somebody was visiting my sixth form. That's when they did it. So I didn't really know. 
but in terms of as somebody who also found that like i imagine like going from somebody who tried to live as normal a life as possible to all of a sudden now factoring in that you know this has been with me you probably had to try and make some changes and those changes were i imagine awkward and difficult at first right yeah i would say the most difficult part of it for me and maybe it's just because i overthink everything by my like very nature i guess part of the you know initial issue with going into mental health and having to to you know go to therapy and stuff was i almost over fixated which obviously is kind of an autistic thing like i was almost like thrust into this position of oh my god masking that's what i've been doing but i didn't know i was masking so all these things i do that i'm i'm ashamed to do in public like the flapping and stuff that's all stimming like it was just an onslaught of realization so it was really overwhelming at first i remember going out and it was kind of in the back of my head i went from worrying that people just didn't like me and found me annoying to being like are they do they think i'm annoying and do they know i'm autistic because there's such a stigma out there of course that it's not even like being autistic is bad but you just don't want other like at least for me i didn't want other people to know i was autistic because i didn't want to have to explain it you know i didn't want to be like the you know of course just because you know i i guess i mask well or, or you know i don't have things to mask i don't know you know what i mean like because of the way i learned i don't know if you know how much is masking and how much is really me of course so one of the things is and i'm sure you've experienced it too where you get all of the well you don't seem autistic or you must be quote unquote high functioning or whatever so i kind of avoided the subject for a long time and just kind of stewed in it because i didn't want to explain it to people even though i knew it wasn't bad it was still more energy that i had to expend on people right right and neurotypicals tend not to understand anyway so yes yes well I didn't have people coming up to me and say, oh, you must be high functioning or whatever. It was more, well, there was one instance I remember where I had a doctor's appointment for something I needed filled in. And I remember the doctor telling me to my face, oh, that's odd. You don't look like there's anything wrong with you. Ah. So that was kind of a, a thing for me just a question i'm curious about as you you said you live in atlanta georgia and you previously lived in jacksonville florida is there did you would you say there's any differences in terms of the process of how somebody gets diagnosed over in america compared to somebody as i live in britain is there any like noticeable differences um i i don't i don't know enough to say but i can say um from what interactions I have with people who are overseas or who are, you know, even in like South America or, or in Canada, everywhere you go, even if it's like just like Europe versus Asia continents, like the way that autism is seen and handled per culture is wildly different. Um, I'm, I don't know, you know, every culture's view of it, but it, it's, it's, there's the same like kind of societal, like, dismay and kind of like alienation of it but it's all kind of seen in different ways like in a lot of like kind of cultures that kind of lean towards a spiritual or towards like you know paranormal kind of stuff if you will a lot of them look at it as oh indigo children or you know what i mean like they they make them special or they kind of like disguise it with some magical touch yeah um whereas you know in america up until just a few decades ago even slightly autistic people were changed to like heating devices that 
asylums and whatnot. But I think one of the biggest things that, and this, this kind of edges into like the gun control debate in America is in America. And I think it's unique to America because of this, because so many school shooters are labeled as autistic and it's kind of just something that's thrown at them and it sticks is autism in America. Isn't just seen as like, Oh, you're mentally handicapped or you're, you're not, you know, there's something wrong with you. It's like, there's something wrong with you and you're probably dangerous. And I'm seeing it kind of roll downhill where the more school, sh- the more mass shootings happen. And I mean, they happen all the time here. It's disgusting. Right. I have coworkers who have been in school shootings. Like that shouldn't be a normal thing. But the problem with that is there's so many of them. And one of the first things that people say out here is, you know, obviously you go through like the racial thing where it's like, well, was it, you know, a terrorist? Is it a Middle Eastern person, et cetera? And then it'll always within, you know, the first few minutes of trying to throw labels at this this murderer, it's were they autistic? It's not, oh, were they depressed? Were they anxious? You know, were they did they have socio personality or uh, antisocial personality disorder? It's, It's autistic. Autism is somehow becoming synonymous in America and in North America with with mass murders and with violence. And it's it sucks. It's very scary. I've noticed that myself. I don't think it's as bad over here, but there's definitely that ripple effect. And you could sort of go into also like the this, you know, the the way autistic people are generally talked about on the internet as well. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there is a thing where there's not really much of a middle ground. It's either like if you're autistic, you're considered really like almost completely inept. You can't do things. You you're prone, you know, you're prone to anger and you can't explain yourself. Right. Or you're the first one to be like, I'm going to go pick up a gun and cause irreparable damage to, to people. Yeah. You're either Rain Man or you're the mass shooter that, you know, just shot up his school. Like there's no in between. And it's funny because those are such stark differences and i'm you know for someone who's very like anti-police myself i love svu and like procedural crime dramas but i also noticed they've trended in using autistic people or presenting people who are showing autistic traits as you know they're a rapist but they didn't understand that they were a serial rapist and and it, it gets personal and it, it so yeah yeah i guess circling back to your original question i'm not sure how the diagnosis works but whether or not you know you have an official diagnosis it's culturally you can see the differences in a whole lot of different a whole lot of different ways you know what i mean like with uh with autism being handled in general oh of of course of course definitely and also since we're on the topic as well and you brought up the racial aspect in regards to when they you know and how they portray school shooters Mm -hmm. you said you're of persian descent right yeah uh, my father was born and raised in tehran and this is another example is i don't think his, his he's never said anything about it to me and i know he knows yeah i've talked about it with him but that side of the family is very much like no there's nothing wrong with you it's just quackery like it's not so, but yeah, I am, I am a half half Iranian, I guess technically. That's that's interesting that they label it as quackery because, well, as people know, I'm of Jamaican Ghanaian descent, and well, it's interesting because when uh, when we found out, and me and my mom were sort of reading through the signs and everything, the interesting thing that we noticed was she didn't know. But she recognized sort of the thing of preferring your own solitude and being by herself. But she said when she was younger, 
because she's somebody who grew up in Jamaica in the 60s, sort of. She came over to Britain in around 1975. Yeah. They just thought she was stuck up. But she also right. she also kind of figured it, well, put two and two together in the sense that she figured it go, It actually went back to, goes back to my great-grandmother, who the thing she always said about her was she was somebody who... She couldn't read and write, but she was really, really good at mental maths when it came to, and especially when it came to money. Mm-hmm. Through that as well, it was really interesting putting it, putting the pieces, putting what we knew together and uh, like things that we just associated as like, oh, those are just personality traits and finding out, oh, wait, no, that's actually a thing. This is kind of surprising now. Yeah. And you know, I- it's I don't have uh, well for like who I know in both sides of my family I don't either they're really 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 good at masking but I don't really see any genetic line trailing through either side that I know of like I said you know maybe some cousins I'm not familiar with but it's definitely I mean there's definitely you know all mental kind of struggles like on each side of my family a lot of depression so growing up i think that's why autism was never considered you know what i mean it was always it's got to be depression or anxiety your mom and dad have depression and anxiety um for a long time uh, and this is my mom was actually diagnosed with having a personality disorder growing up while i was growing up and my initial fear was i have borderline personality disorder too just like my mom oh god like i'm not gonna lead a stable you know life and it was a panic for me and i went to therapists for a lot growing up and they'd always tell me you don't have any personality disorder you don't have one you don't you know you've got trauma we can we can treat you for trauma but you're you're being paranoid basically like, calm down and what i found out getting older is there's a lot of overlap in personality disorders okay ptsd it's cptsd and autism and it's not per se you know this it, for people with BPD or with PTSD, their emotional reactions aren't per se from sensory overload or from not being able to handle the information processing. Theirs are, you know, emotional personality. That's, you know, how they were built, if you will. So when I would see overlaps between like BPD or like CPTSD and and my autism, like where it wasn't black and white thinking, it was that I couldn't understand a lot of abstract concepts and I still can't, Um, all of these things are so similar to personality disorders because just based on the behavioral reaction and the emotional kind of reaction, but they're not the same. So for me, I I can see like, you know, my mom has been diagnosed, you know, I'm based on like knowing my family, I'm sure others have, you know, mental health issues like that as well or disorders. But I have no evidence that there's any history of like autism in either side of my family. So that leaves me kind of prone to to reading those clickbaity articles that are like, is autism caused by the parents smoking cigarettes? And I'm like, did my mom smoke? You know what I mean? Like, so I don't have like the whole like, so yeah, for a few years, I was like, oh, God, how did I, what, what, what made me this way? And, you know, I didn't buy into it but it was interesting some of the things people thought autism came from sure sure you know other than vaccines i mean real weird shit like cheese cheese fucking weird shit like pardon my language but what the fuck i swear there's some like like they're like processed ingredients as a child like all just the weird things that people have like assumed could cause quote unquote cause autism okay well it's funny because you've kind of touched it on here but you brought up to us that you're 
in a way, your specialist subject is like that you know a lot about the effects, you know, sort of the effects that of society that go on that people have to deal with, mainly the social aspects. So, um, just a curious question in terms of how did you get in? How did you get to accumulate all this knowledge about these things? Because I know you touched on the personal as well. So. I imagine you've done a whole a lot of reading and probably watching up different things on the subject that and I got so after I was diagnosed um, I ended up finding a really amazing psychiatrist named Dr. Shithricki I I will name drop her until the end because she was incredible she taught me a lot and she gave me a lot of you know references for like things to read that were reputable sources and she's the one who explained all of this to me initially she was very transparent during my visits to her. I was mostly visiting her for medication maintenance, but I would often, you know, have longer visits to talk to her about things. And she would explain everything to me very logically. And I remember once I told her that, you know, it helped me a lot more that she would just tell me the logical facts. I could apply them, you know, more practically. And she was like, well. Yeah, yeah. And- we're, uh, autistic people generally are just like, it's all about logic and reasoning. Yeah. We want the... We want the facts. We're not, we're not exactly ones for illogical thinking, so to speak. Yeah, I can't like I can't read between the lines if somebody is you know hinting something at me. I can I struggle with that a lot. You know, at, like I said, the abstract thinking thing. It's like no, like give me why, how in like very concrete, finite terms. I can't. You know, like I can be creative, but I always want like finite yes yeah you know understandable things and she told me she's like you do understand like a lot of the fears you've had for example when something emotional you know something that would maybe cause me like anxiety that other people might have like an anxiety attack you know I might react emotionally and I would shut down basically when I had meltdowns I thought that I was just freaking out because I was you know having like a borderline break Mm -hmm. basically because most of what I found online was about borderline personality disorder and that's where I had been led to kind of my brain kind of led me to because I was like what's wrong with me why am I depressed growing up why am I like this why do I feel weird why why don't other people you know like being alone like I do like all these very stereotypical traits of autism that I went down the wrong path and this is why you shouldn't really research your own (laughs) I'm like you know go to a professional and get a diagnosis and then look into it if you can and it's not bad to research your own to get an idea maybe if you should see a professional but never like rely 100% on your WebMD and Wikipedia reading because like I said for years I thought I had a personality disorder and I could have got appropriate treatment actually going to a professional and getting a diagnosis you know I know there's struggles to that and it's not as easy as said than done but so I had you know I knew these these issues I had specific things that would get to me and I always thought that it was I always tied it to traits in borderline personality disorder like my mom had you know it has and has been treated for very very well successfully thankfully but I would sit here and think I would mistake sensory overload for me having like a, like I said, like a borderline break. A lot of autistic people, especially if they're diagnosed later in life growing up, and it actually has a lot of overlap with ADD as well, but there's kind of an emotional reaction when somebody isn't clear about their feelings or about you or about something important to you. And autistic people generally don't know how to handle that. (laughs) Like, we'll shut down or we'll pull away. And it's usually at like a fear response, you know, 
but there's definitely a reaction from autistic people in some way we we feel it and it's because generally we we get this like we don't know what to do you know our emotions and our senses are so intertwined that we just we freak out we're like we don't know how to handle rejection or a certain emotion yeah well borderline personality people with borderline personality tend to struggle with that as well so for example like i said if if somebody was like hey i don't know they're flirting with me but i don't know if they like me and i like them if i can't figure it out like i i will you know freak out and think instantly like back before i had my autistic diagnosis i would think like oh my god i'm am I doing the black and white thinking thing we're like i'm imagining a, an irrational fear that's not really happening and like i would chalk it up to like you know some something else whereas once i was seeing my old psychiatrist and i knew i had uh, autism and she basically said when you're having these feelings you think you're having black and white thinking it's not that you're just you need logic she's like you don't understand the gray area not because you reject it or you just don't have it in your emotional repertoire she's like you just don't understand it she's like there's a difference so i got a lot of that explained to me but that's was probably where all of it came from was me trying to figure myself out and how to handle these emotional like really difficult times that i thought were like like i said emotional like overloads essentially where i was like having a meltdown or like being impulsive or you know looking through the the borderline or you know any other personalities or like finding those symptoms when every single one of them is typical to autistic people and it's just not known i guess so finding these overlaps helped me understand who i was and what i was as an autistic person or who i was as one mm -hmm. Definitely, that makes a lot of sense. I feel curious. Just a curious question, since you brought since you brought this up in terms of it. If it's not too touchy a subject, has there been any has there been any experiences that you can think of where you've really had to deal with sensory like you've really had to deal with sensory overload, or say also like. The constant second guessing is something that I've dealt with, not so much with borderline personality disorder, but trying to, you know, trying to pin down myself in order to go for a specific decision and to just stick with it. Or even I can sometimes be prone to beating myself up if something doesn't go right. Is there anything that you would say that you can think of where you've gone for those? those kind of experiences well i guess there's a different way for me to answer this a couple different ways the first thing is everything you know you've you've explained like i said i i understand the second guessing the second guessing though I, I think a lot of mine comes from growing up and i was not in a very i mean like i said growing up there wasn't like a lot of emotional support from my mom you know she had a personality disorder she resented me growing up so there was a lot of emotional abuse that was tied in and i think that i was still well aware enough that like at a young age i knew that i was going to need therapy i knew i was damaged and that i needed to heal but i would always try to you know use this toolbox that the therapist i was seeing when i was younger was giving me of uh, how to emotionally handle or you know like manage my feelings when i would start having you know an emotional overload a good example is tied to I love going to shows like I love going to them but there have been times when I've gone to them and like I, I'd see a friend or something and they'd act standoffish and I would feel alone 
And I used to think that the reason I was upset was because I felt alone, but I realized like it was because I was surrounded by people. There was so much going on, the sound, the lights, the music that I usually would enjoy. I would panic. You know what I mean? It was an overload because I have no problems being alone. I love being alone. I like being alone more than with other people, but it was in these really hectic situations when I was having this issue. And my psychiatrist, the the one I mentioned, and I deduced that it wasn't the person I was upset with, you know, because if I was at like a diner or something and someone walked away and left me alone, I was fine. It was the situation. So I started, you know, I've gone, when I went to shows by myself, even like, I never went to, I've never gone to like a major concert by myself, but like a little like indie show or something, I'll go. But I always, you know, would see people there or whatever. But I've realized that, you know, there is a way, um, there is a certain level of people um, and noises that it's not just, it's not the people, it's the noises and the movement of the people. It is, um, if there's loud noises, if there's a lot of celebratory, like confetti and shouting and sounds, and if there's a lot going on, it's really easy for me to get disoriented. Mm-hmm. And the second I'm disoriented, I'll start having like an overload basically like i'm really good at controlling what's going to give me not really good but i'm okay at controlling pretty good at controlling what will give me a meltdown but being disoriented or if somebody unloads too many details on me i'll have like a meltdown because i can't handle like i have add so it's really hard for me to organize my thoughts and my add will trigger a meltdown cool but over the last few years i'd say the last five i've learned where my limits are as far as going to shows and going to concerts if I'm going to a concert I have to have somebody there with me to kind of ground me um not because I don't want to be alone but because it helps me kind of focus my senses on one thing instead of everything overwhelming me so for example before I go to a venue or before I go to a concert I will look at like the max capacity I'll look at how many tickets are sold because I I want to go and enjoy something but I have to make sure I'll be able to I'm definitely prone to having to watch restrictions to make sure I can have an okay time and Whereas previously, like I would go to a show, like a concert concert by myself and be like, I can do this or go with, you know, a group of friends or something. And I would just get overwhelmed. So I basically, to avoid beating myself up or to avoid putting myself in situations where I'm going to have a meltdown or overload, I have to know what my tools are. I have to know what I need in those situations. And that's helped me avoid a lot because I have been prone when I was younger to self-harm when I would have overloads. I haven't done that in years, but now it's a lot harder because I don't self-harm. So if I do have a meltdown, it's just, I, I don't know. I just shut down. I just shut down completely. Okay. So here's, here's a weird thing. And I, this is, I don't know if it's related to being autistic or not. I've always had a very high pain threshold. So there have been times when I, I mean, it's not like hurt, like I got stabbed and I won't know, you know, there have been times when I've had like a paper cut or stepped on a pin and not noticed it right away. You know, I've, had people assume like hey you might have chronic pain and not realize it or something but I don't know that so that all aside I don't get headaches no I have a tendency to get physically dizzy like I'll get physically like um just I can't it's like a physical reaction on pain but sort of the same cerebral unbalance that kind of happens hello welcome to this conveniently timed commercial break Did you know the Autistic Empire has a shop? We sell autistic-themed merchandise, products by autistic artists, and useful things we think you'll find cool. Have you got difficulty getting your shoelaces to stay tied? 
Buy our one-tie shoelaces from Greepers that you can loosen and tighten without ever having to tie them again. Are you concerned about one-use straws but still want something to sit with? We have reusable straws from Glug Glug on sale now. T-shirts, badges, mugs, we've got it all and it's all for autistic people by autistic people. All of our profits go towards employing Aspies and supporting the work of the Empire. We're a work in progress so if you have feedback or would like to stock your products in our shop, please email sales at autisticempire.com. Everyone else, the address is shop.autisticempire.com. That's shop.autisticempire.com. We'll let you go back to the episode now. Thanks for listening. In terms of live gigs or anything, um, do you find that you tend to suffer head? Do you find that you tend to suffer headaches if everything is too loud and in your face? Bad. I also have really bad directional hearing, so like someone could be behind me saying Cassandra, and I'll look to like the left. Like I have no idea. Um, at work, I sit in kind of a corner where like everybody, pretty much most of the noise comes from in front of me, but sometimes people from in front of me will say something and I look back really thinking it's behind me. I have horrible balance, horrible balance. Sometimes I walk upstairs thinking I'm going to, I'm about to fall, like standing on one foot for me now. It's, I don't even, I don't even want to try it. Like <laughs> In controlled spaces, I can man, I'm fine with it. Like if it's a small venue or even a slightly larger indoor place, where it's outdoors is where it really becomes a problem for me. So carnival or festivals is a problem. I've only been to two festivals. I'm not sure if I well, actually three really, because I did somebody did get me to Afropunk, but that's an interesting contrast. Well, those no, I've been to no, I've actually been to more than two now that I think about. It. But there were two big, big ones I went to that were outdoor ones. And the second one I was absolutely miserable at because it was just, it was pouring from when we got there. It was incredibly muddy. Um, When the sun finally came up, it was difficult to walk through. Um, The best act on the thing I saw on the first day of the festival. So... By the end of it, I was just sort of devastated by the whole thing. But an indoor, but the indoor ones, it's like, it's not like I'm in the middle of nowhere. You know, I can find my way back home easier. Sometimes it's a case of if it's one day or two days, I can go there and familiarize myself with the location. Also, I think crucially, it's very easy for me to get to the toilets because outdoor festival, because as, as is pretty much well known, outdoor festivals they are disgusting and once you run once things run out of toilet paper and ways to clean your hands it gets it gets very dark so this is why i suggest to people bring your own roll of toilet paper with you (laughs) i hear you i i've been to a lot of festivals but I always make sure, like, I have a hotel that's right by so I can, like, leave. Mm-hmm. I don't care mm-hmm. if it's expensive. Like, I burn out quickly. And, like, I just, I guess I'm one of those low-spoon autistic people where, like, I have real low spoons. Very low spoons all the time. Like, I hate it. I'm very low energy. Right, um, yeah. But, so, sh- like, sh- festivals to me, it's exhausting. And, I'm really lucky because living in Atlanta, we have Afropunk, which is literally like 10 minutes from my house. 
we have A3C, we have, you know, Shaky Knees, which is this weekend. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of really big, awesome festivals here in Atlanta. So I can go to them. And if I'm freaking out or if I start feeling overwhelmed, I can go home. And my house is my favorite place. So like it's I just I got lucky, but I've been like to other festivals. I remember I went to a hopscotch festival in Raleigh, North Carolina with Mike Eagle, actually. Um, He was playing there and I went to hang out with him. And just to clarify for uh, people who don't know, Open Mike Eagle is a Chicago rapper who, as far as I remember, right, he has his own he has his own TV show now. Yeah. Uh, Comedy Central, the new Negroes. Yes, so just to just to give a bit of context to who she's talking about. Yes, um, but I went and he was performing in like De La Souls. It was a really good lineup, like Spoon, Saint Vincent. Um, I can't remember. I'm drawing a blank on the other ones, but um, I went to that, and the hotel I got was two blocks from it. So at any time when I was like wandering the festival or music was going on, I had like a safe place to go and just like sit in the quiet because I need that. My thing is, and it's weird, is the senses that I react most to are like physical, like yeah. feel, like like you know, touch and smell. Those are my two. So those at outdoor festivals are also like people touching me, or if like there's a hair touching the back of my, I freak out. You know, temperature, I very sensitive temperature, and then smells. If something like smells, like I have like almost no sense of smell, like almost none. But if something smells bad for more than a few minutes i'll get a headache really bad like headache immediately not like five ten minutes of a bad of a a bad smell strong enough for me to smell i'm agony so music festivals do the same thing for me especially when the toilet papers run out because then everybody's just it 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 becomes kind of like subhuman around like the toilet areas at like festivals so yeah i feel you there i just wanted to circle back to that maybe for people who are like people who for autistic people in those kind of environments where it's sort of like you're kind of cast to your cast to the elements it's not really the closest to a safety net you maybe have is your friends and they might not understand they might not understand or really have the the space or the capabilities so you might have to end up roughing it with really like really really awful situations because especially one I distinctively remember to was I remember going to was near an airport. So we had to deal with a you know we had to deal with planes flying low flying ones flying over us very frequently, and especially when it's like mm. you know at midnight when you're trying to sleep. And I know people say, "Oh, you're supposed to be up and doing things at midnight." It's like no, you need sometimes you need your rest. It's it's agonizing it's absolutely agonizing and that that horrible realization comes where you're just like i am stuck here there's nowhere i can go back to yeah yeah i feel you there i i have a question so is is music your special interest one of my interests i would say yeah i i my special interests have always been i don't have like a lifelong one other than music i guess okay but uh, yeah i think autism just the whole concept of it became my special interest when i was diagnosed yeah i mean of course i I get that also knowing you like i mean i guess this is an interesting fact you could bring up to the listeners is that you're you're very connected to like the underground rap world which i understand but i think for some people they might be wondering Huh? What are you on about? Please explain. <laughs> so just as a thing to tell about yourself, how did you get so in deep with all these people? 
I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is weird. And essentially, like, what happened was um, I would just go to shows by myself a lot, like I said, even though, you know, not major concerts, but I'd go to a lot of shows by myself. I always did. And I'm not going to lie, once I moved to Jacksonville, I was older, you know, I was like about 19 or 20 then, and I was going to shows by myself, and I could, you know, I I realized musicians hit on you a lot when you're a lone woman at shows a lot and i i think it's because they it just they automatically connect you with being a um a groupie or something and i honestly like i'm i'm super sex positive i'm pretty much asexual but other people who aren't like more power to you if you want to sleep with musicians i don't care it's great whatever own own your love you know own your sexuality whatever but um it, it was weird because i wasn't and i was I've always you know I can be really mean to people but for like artists and musicians who travel and are like touring I have you know friends in like hardcore bands too and indie it's not just the I guess the hip-hop scene that I'm, I'm I guess quote unquote connected into but for some reason with with rappers and with MCs like their personalities and like I guess the way like we communicate like I would always end up rappers might come up to me you know to maybe initially hit on me some of them did but we've been to best friends and not like you know like friends like hey we're friends and i'm gonna try and sleep with you later like i actually made some really solid long-lasting friendships with with a lot of artists but most of them have just coincidentally been rappers and because of them like i might if they come to like atlanta or jacksonville you know i guess you know and maybe it's it's the thing like they'll know who i know in another city but they know nowadays they know it's not like i'm a groupie i guess like i enough of my friends that are networked together i have kind of indicated to me that i'm just the rap friend i'm the person like hey if someone comes to town they're bored and they just you know they don't know anybody in the city and they actually just want a friend someone will be like hey go talk to Sonia. she's cool like she's not weird or at least that's kind of what i've picked up on but these have been like not major rappers major rappers know someone everywhere but i also did like some booking in jacksonville and helped with promoting shows and so i know people who promote in other cities and you know if i go to shows there you know they'll sit me in the green room and i end up becoming friends with rappers or with you know an artist or a musician or a singer but i think that the key of it is that I just went to shows. Like I said, I just went alone. And okay. even if a musician didn't come over to hit on me initially, like if you're alone at a show, sometimes they're like, oh, there's someone here who actually came to see me probably and gives a shit. I'm not trying to shame musicians, but I can say like, I think the first steps into like the artists that have notoriety or something that I became friends with, they did initially came come trying to hit on me and didn't, it didn't work out, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with me, I think I'm automatically very distrusting of people because I know I have an inherent issue with understanding communication sometimes. Like I said, when somebody is flirting or someone is trying to be, you know, subtle with, you know, showing affection, I'll be oblivious to it. I'm extremely aloof. And I don't know if maybe, you know, that came off incorrectly. You know, I have definitely become very much, I, I've always been self-aware, but I've become self-conscious almost of how I was expressing myself because it did happen. But like I said, at the same time, I think any person at all, if they're flirting with you and you're able to put boundaries in place and they still want to be your friend, that's really genuine because that means they were interested in you as a human being in the first place. So like I said, I think initially it was a few musicians being skeezy ended up being their friend and then I made friends through them 
and I, I just know a lot of really talented artists and I know them as human beings. I'm, I'm not going to name drop on your show, unfortunately, but like, I will say if like, you know me and you talk to me and I, I tell you like, Hey, this person is my friend. It's not because I'm trying to name drop. It's because I'm like, yeah, they're my friend. Support them. They're actually good people. Cause there have been some musicians. There are at least, there's at least one or two rappers I have beef with. And I, I'm not going to name the rappers cause you might know them. Like I pretty sure you know at least one of them so no no it, it's fine it's fine it's fine you you don't have to name them you don't have to name them but i just find that's really 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 interesting that that would be actually a thing all right then um cass it's cassandra it's been a really wonderful episode but before we head off um you've apparently got a podcast in the works yourself so did you care to tell people about that or anything else that you would like to promote as well as well sure i can do that so i used to have an old podcast as a true crime kind of spooky conspiracy theory podcast called of myth and mercy and i ended up not i quit doing it for a while because of personal reasons but um, my friend nora and i will be starting up a podcast in about two months we don't have an exact date but keep your eyes open it's gonna be called to gloom it may concern and it's kind of going to be in the same vein um but we're going we actually have some interesting characters we'll be interviewing um such as an ex-cia agent and um a woman who got her phd uh on basically conducting a experiment uh basically on a an experiment that was conducted through a government cult so we have a we'll have some pretty interesting stuff on there right that does sound that does sound really interesting. And I would say that's the end of the episode. So, Cassandra, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yes, this is Odd Eye speaking, and thank you. <laughs>